We'll get back to Hebrews next week. Um, but today we are, our aim is to slow down and to consider wisdom together, as we do from time to time. We kind of break, break uh, our norms, and we consider an angle of wisdom together. Um, today, I believe God wants us to see through His Word, I believe this is His idea, that there is much wisdom in slowing down and remembering Him. And so today, anytime we do something topical like this, I think, I think it's, uh, it's important that we make sure it is God's idea instead of topical sermons being our idea or man's idea. I think we make simple and naive disciples if we operate that way. So when we think we need to do a sermon like this or when the Lord lays it on our heart, we want to make sure it is His idea. And so today we're going to look at a lot of Scripture and hope that that guides us. But because of that, we're not going to get probably a very smooth, Grant-like sermon that has a really nice flow. I think it's going to be kind of choppy. All right, so I just I prepare you that, hopefully in love. Um, but the goal, when we look at wisdom, the goal is to try to expose wisdom of the world. Okay, we try to expose wisdom of the world. What does the world say? And we try to look at the wisdom of God. All right, so we try to shine light on the wisdom of God, and then we keep coming back to the source of that wisdom which is the power of God, all right? And by slowing down and remembering Him, that's what equips us to walk in wisdom, all right? So we're just going to jump right in, prepare for the choppy, okay? But when we think of wisdom, right, when we, when we evaluate wisdom, we think of the correct application of God's Word, all right? This is God's Word. We, we can know the truth of it, but wisdom is actually the actions, the visual evidence that we see play out that would reflect God's character and His Word. All right, we know it's not enough just to try to know God's Word intellectually. That's part of it. But even the demons know God's Word, right? So it has to be more than that. The evidence that we actually know His Word shows up in how we act, what kind of fruit is demonstrated by our lives, all right? So God's Word says it's wise for us to slow down and remember Him. The Scriptures are are full of this idea and thought. But today, just as a launching point, I'd say let's consider three verses that kind of point to this idea, just so you know we're kind of rooted in Scripture here as we kick off. Most of the Scriptures today, there will be a lot. Most of them will be on the screen. I'll have you turn with me at one point, but um, we'll go quickly, and uh, most of them will be on the screen for you. So we start Proverbs 4, 1 and 2. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instructions, and be attentive. Right? Pay attention. Why? That you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching from God's word. Pay attention. Slow down. That you may gain insight. James 1, 19. This sounds familiar probably because in our past we've brought this up. We want to keep circulating these so that it becomes a part of our life as a church. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person... Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then Psalm 46.10, we heard this morning, Janie read for us, the idea, be still and know that I am God. This is kind of our launching launching point as we see the idea that God says it's wise to slow down and remember 
him. All right, let's pray for help. Lord, Lord, we believe this is your word. We believe this is your idea. May you just help us see more of you this morning. Will you soften our hearts right now? Knowing that whenever we evaluate our lives, when we try to compare and discern what is good and evil, we do that from the heart and that it hurts sometimes, that it's, that it's difficult. So will you soften our hearts today? Help us consider your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why this topic or why are we doing this? Well, wisdom of the world continues to creep in to our lives. It's not a new concept. All right? this, is, this has been happening for many years. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 5, 43. says, you have heard that it was said, acknowledging wisdom of the world. This is kind of what it said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. All right? So wisdom of the world is not a new concept, but as, as people change and, and, and cultures change, the enemy and his craftiness and deceit changes right with it, and he continues to blend in and try to infiltrate wisdom of God. Wisdom of the world stands in direct opposition to the wisdom of God, and that's why it's good from time to time to try to expose that together so that we can prevent it. All right, so when we think of wisdom of the world, we're going to use James 3, 14 through 16. Wisdom of the world looks like this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, worldly. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Wisdom of the world flows from what? From bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We're saying wisdom of God is slow down and remember him, right? Wisdom of the world says, no, go fast, be impulsive, forget him. Wisdom of the world says, be impulsive, do whatever you want, love yourself. Forget God. Look at me. Wisdom of the world says, right, I'm going to post this picture of myself so people look at me, so that people like me. Wisdom of the world says, consume, consume, consume. Just keep going. YouTube, YouTube feeds this, doesn't it? You watch a YouTube video, you don't even have to choose. It just like starts. It starts a countdown to the next one, right? It's just like feet, like over and over. Don't stop. And when we are in the center of the equation... Wisdom of the world gives us per permission to be offended easily, right? Because we deserve everything. If anyone questions or challenges that, or even says, hey, consider this. Like, no, no, no. How dare you question me? That's what wisdom of the world says. Wisdom of the world says, Eve, you can eat the forbidden fruit. You deserve it. Forget God. That will give you more power. So we, we, we attach wisdom of the world to Satan, the true enemy. And wisdom of the world puts us in the power position instead of God. So are we letting it creep into our lives under disguise? 
All right, this is a reality, right? God's word points to wisdom of the world existing all around us. All right, so how do we, des- how do we survive the constant pace of chaos that the world prevents? Well, let's start with what not to do. Maybe a simpler, naive approach that people have done in the past is they say, that's scary out there, so we're just going to withdraw completely. We're going to isolate in the name of safety, and we're just going to stay away. A lot of us homeschool in here, and that would, be, that would be a caution, right? If your main motivation in homeschooling is just to like, I'm scared of what's out there, we got to protect it. If that's the main thing, check your, check your heart. Check, check our hearts together as we do that. If that's the main driving force, it's just safety. I believe God's word doesn't speak to safety at all. I think he calls us to the opposite. I think he sends us into the world, right? He sends us into the world, but not in our own power. He loves us in his power, so we're equipped. But he calls us to be right in the middle of it so so those who are blind to the wisdom of God can be exposed to it through us. That's the goal, right? So it's not an easy pursuit. We acknowledge that. God's word acknowledges that. And that's why he gives us one another. He says, I'm not sending you out there alone. You've got this and you've got this. So pursue it together, church. This is a good gift. All right, it's important to note the element of wisdom we're looking at today, it's not just slowing down, right? I think sometimes we make that attempt and tell our kids, like, all right, just slow down, count to 10 when you get mad. Well, if I want to punch you in the face, I say, wait, hold on, one, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, ten. 10. Then I punch you in the face. It's not, it, it, so slowing down, it's not just that. It has to be the other part, right? Why would we slow down? Oh, yeah, to remind us to look to him, right? That's the point. It's a two-part source and picture of wisdom. We slow down. We remember him. That looks so complex. Remembering him, just it's, it's a being aware of him, right? It's considering him, examining, evaluating, beholding God. And this concept is, it's unsearchable and complex. That's a good thing, right? Because our God is unsearchable and complex. And we can only rest in a God that is unsearchable and complex. We take great comfort in knowing that as creator of the universe, he holds all of this together through his power, not our own. All right, so, so when we look at examples here, we look at how to walk in wisdom, we have to start with God the Father, the creator Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This is not a demeaning verse, church. This is a comfort verse. He says, Children, you're down there. I'm up here. Remember that. I hold all this together. You don't have to. And we're thankful to be able to connect this pursuit of wisdom directly to him because then when we think of him and try to examine him, we see attributes that we can relate to. In his goodness, he's gifted us with, with certain ways to understand him. These are called communicable attributes. He's communicated certain things to us so that we can understand him by experiencing these things ourselves. Right? A.W. Pink, in his book, The Attributes of God, says... An unknown God 
can neither be trusted, served, nor worshipped. If we knew nothing about him, why would we trust him? We can't. So God reveals some of who he is to us, his people, in order for us to be able to trust him. All right, And one of these attributes that he lets us see into is that he is a God of patience. Nahum 1.3 says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. God's patience plays out in so many ways, but he withholds judgment from people, right? That, that's something that we, as his people, hopefully have experienced. He's slow to act. He restrains his actions. And the reason he can do that The reason he can be slow to anger and judgment is because he's great in power. It's his plan, right? So because of his power, he chooses to bear with the wicked and delay and punishment. Church, before we knew him, that was us. When it comes to salvation, that was us. We've experienced that type of his patience firsthand, right? And those who have not yet trusted him, you're currently living under that patience, under his power of restraint. And this is what we call mercy. It's, we, it's withholding something that people deserve. All right, so we can be patient and slow to act because our God was and is patient with us. Right? And now we can physically carry that out using his strength because he gives us access to this power. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Back to the wisdom of the world, though. What does the wisdom of the world say about patience? Wisdom of the world thinks patience and being slow to act is weak. Because wisdom of the world is impulsive. Remember, do whatever you want. If I'm in the center, whatever feels good right now, we we don't slow down. So they, they see slow patient as weak and because our God is slow to act wisdom of the world runs rampant this helps us answer that question why is there so much chaos why is this going on because our God is patient Ecclesiastes 8 11 says because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil this helps us explain that idea. Second Peter 3.9 said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Our God exercises patience to allow for more people to know him. Church, this is helpful. This is helpful. I don't know if you've been in these interactions, but if you're, if you're ministering to neighbors or friends or people who, who kind of use the term like, well, God hates me. You don't know what I've done. I did this thing. God just hates me. This equips us to show a picture of a compassionate God on people who don't yet know him. He, no, no, friend, he's withholding his wrath right now as we speak. He's actually showing you mercy right now. It's not natural to show mercy to someone you hate, is it? This is our God. What a good message to the lost on a merciful God. 
So the pursuit of wisdom always has to start by slowing down and remembering him. And a foundational verse to help with that, Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is God's idea. When we remember him, we remember his example of restraint. We remember that he gives us power. As, as his people, that power we can experience through the Holy Spirit, right? God in us. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Right? So when we slow down, right? When we talk of slowing down, remembering him, considering him, beholding him, letting his word affect our actions, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, right? By pursuing God, paying attention to him, The actions that flow from us now reflect God. This is what we call fruits of the Spirit, right? It's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in people because of what? What things do we see? Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Against these things, there is no law because nothing stands against the power of God. And when we think of that as a church, as a people, as God's people, when we think of pursuing this together, it points to an action. Okay, It's not just memorizing what wisdom means, but actually working, toiling together to apply that and experience God together. That's, that's part of the beauty that is the church. Right? He lets us do this together, sharpening one another, protecting one another, exhorting one another, loving one another, empowering one another, being patient with one another. Church isn't true unity. When you think of true unity of a church, it's a picture of patience, isn't it? It's a picture of individuals slowing down, examining the log in our own eye before complaining about all the specks that we see. The specs do exist, right? It's real. But instead of starting there, we slow down. We remember him. No, yeah, examine it. Yeah, power, Holy Spirit. What's wrong with me? Okay, now, I, now I'm equipped to love because it's his power flowing out. So we've hit God the Father. We've hit the Spirit. Now we move to the Son as the perfect example. Who did this perfectly as a human? That is our Savior, 1 Corinthians one thirty, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Jesus is wisdom in the flesh, so as we pursue wisdom, it's always wise to have him in the equation, right? When we're trying to pursue wisdom, what did Jesus do when he walked on earth? How did he act? How did he interact with people? Remember our study of Hebrews, right? The writer is constantly pointing for people to look, look at Jesus. He's the true and better human in all these different examples and cases. Hebrews 3, 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider 
Jesus. Remember this, this consider, remember, evaluate, examine, consider him. And by definition, when you consider something, when you evaluate, you have to slow down. We saw this in the life of Jesus time and time again. Obviously, the cross is an example. He endured that through pain and suffering. Ultimately, he endured because of his father's power, and he humbled himself and said, not my will, but your will be done. And he led in a very similar way as well. We can take great wisdom from the way that Jesus led. One of the ways that he led and encouraged people to slow down, almost forcing them to slow down, is that he talked in parables a lot. Right? And parables are usually made-up stories that are pointing to a greater truth about God. But, but he spoke this way often because it forced people who were actually called by God pursuing him, it forced them to slow down. He would give this concept, kind of the story, and then it was like those who were being drawn were like, what, Wait, what does that mean? So well, they, they had to just keep following him. Right? They, they had to. And that's a picture of the wise. Others who couldn't slow down, if they didn't get it right away, they thought, this guy's crazy. And we see accounts over and over of people left. People stopped following him. It didn't make sense. They couldn't get it right now, right away. They wanted to control the timeline. So they thought he was crazy. Mark 4 demonstrates this. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And here's what we see afterward in Mark 4.10. When he, Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. This is what I'm talking about. They were drawn. They, they had to say, wait, wait, wait. What does this mean? Teacher, what does this mean? When we pursue wisdom, we slow down and we say, what does this mean? Right? That's our pursuit together. We look to the disciples who acted this out with Jesus himself. And it's a good picture of what wisdom looks like. The disciples are helpful because we see their sin described. We see folly in their life. But overall, we see this pursuit. We see people dying in the name of Jesus. We see a faithful pursuit, folly and faithfulness. We see it all. And I think we should, we should be able to, to identify with that. A picture of the wise, the wise know that there's never a peak that they can achieve here on earth. They know it's a slow and steady journey toward Christ. That's what we see here when people had to follow him and say, hey, what does this mean? Tell me more. Explain this to me. A picture of wisdom, Proverbs 9, 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. This is the picture of the wise. The more of the Holy Spirit, the more of the goodness of God, the more of, his, of Him that they evaluate and examine and see and then experience His power through them, it's like an addiction. It's like they have to. 
It's like time away from his word and from people. You feel ill. You feel like there's something missing to the wise. This sustains and brings so much joy and peace. And it's also why those who live in isolation away from God's people and God's word do not experience peace and contentment. That's what God's word says. And the wisdom of God looks foolish to the world. Are we content enough in Christ that we're okay looking foolish to the world sometimes? Jesus looked foolish talking in parables to certain people. Today we celebrate Pentecost. It's a reminder of when the Holy Spirit was unleashed on the church. And in that picture, there was a lot of what seemed like chaos. People speaking in different tongues. It's like people overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. It's like a lot of people thought they were drunk. Like it looks weird. Are we okay and content enough in our identity in Christ that we're okay looking foolish to the world sometimes? When we examine wisdom, go back and forth, well, what's wisdom of the world? What's wisdom of God? It's discerning what's good and evil, right? We have to keep doing heart checks. What's going on in my life? What's close and near and dear to me? That's why these discussions sometimes and these explorations together can hurt a little bit. But if we want to do it well, we got to go with what's close to us, don't we? So are we too busy trying to fit into the world, being impulsive for selfish ambition? When it comes to social media, just one example, and, and we'll talk politics in a little bit too, because I think we need to go there, but we'll save that for a little bit. Are we being impulsive for selfish ambition? Some questions to ask if you're trying to discern, am I engaged in wisdom of the world when it comes to media? One question to consider. Are you okay not posting something on social media? Are you okay not visiting social media? Are you posting on social media because of jealousy and selfish ambition? If so... We see that's of the enemy, wisdom of the world. That would be sin. Is it, I just have to fit in, though. I just I have to show that I'm cool. I have to show that I'm, I'm part of the group. We've got to just keep checking our hearts. What feeds our social media posts? Another way to ask that question, what do you want to happen when you post something? That's a heart check question to consider. Deep down, what do I want to happen when I put this out to the public we explore wisdom we we uncover some things and we consider them right we don't have to come to conclusions today but let's just keep uncovering different things i think that's why i said it would be choppy because i think we're just going to dig into some stuff uh we go back to jesus right why don't you turn with me to mark eight if you could mark eight And prior to this account in Mark 8, Jesus has been doing several miracles in front of his disciples and other followers, uh, including feeding 5,000 on one occasion, feeding 4,000 on a separate occasion by multiplying some bread and fish. A lot of us know those stories. 
And even in that, right, we say he's an example of slowing down. Even he remembers God the Father. I think it was the 4,000 account when he slows down, examines, then looks to heaven. And then everyone's fed with plenty of leftovers. So we see that example again over and over and over of him living this way and leading this way. But we come off of that, and then we look to verse 11, okay? Verse 11, it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. We stop there. What do we see here from the Pharisees? They're seeking a sign. Give me something right now, right? Selfish ambition, motivation. Some of us immaturely play this game with God. I, I, I do not speak down to you here. I, I am in this with you, experiencing this, pursuing this. But when we play this game with God, when we kind of come to Him and say, hey, here's what I want, or hey, show me this thing, whose power, whose power is highlighted? It's ours. We're telling God what the timeline's going to be. That does not work out. And what that exposes is, We really don't want his will, we want our own will. Not the humble prayer of, not my will, but yours. We switch that around. God's word does not give us permission to do that. It results and exposes that we forget our standing with him. Sadly, like personal example, one one of the many times um, the Bible would call me a fool I used to drink in college, and one of, one of my least favorite things in life is to throw up. And so there were times, right, you get to the point of intoxication, you can start feeling it. And then what does the fool do, the 20-year-old fool in me, what does it do? God, keep me from throwing up, I'll never drink again. That's real. This is real life. That's how sad it is, right? I didn't have this much insight way back then. It's like, let me do this for a future sermon illustration. No, it wasn't, right? I I wish I would have, but but I'm drinking, and it's like I'm just coming to God, I think. I'm really not, because he doesn't hear that. In my own strength, with my own agenda, and I think sometimes I threw up, sometimes I didn't. I still kept drinking, right? It It was like a foolish, desperate, simple look of who God was. That's what that reveals. That story reveals I thought God was so close to my level. And it's folly. It's foolish. When we come to God in prayer that way, it is not prayer. James 4.3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When we come to God with me first, here's what I want, here's what I need, we come to him foolishly, and he does not hear us. Why? Because sin is in the middle. The sin of pride gets in the way from him hearing a humble plea, a humble ask. Proverbs 15, 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Not my will, but your will be done. 
The Pharisees came to Jesus demanding a sign, demanding their own agenda, demanding their timeline, and it is foolish. It's kind of easy for us to look at them and be like, yeah, they're fools, the Pharisees, right? We kind of was like, wait a second. We keep reading in Mark 8, and it's like, oh, here's the disciples. This is where we can relate a little bit better. Can we identify in the role of fools sometimes, church? Let's look at verse 14. Remember they came off these miracles with food and feeding people? Remember that? Pretty fresh. Verse 14, Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, Jesus, teaching about wisdom of the world, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. This is us, church, right? The disciples. Cool, yeah, that's cool teaching, but we gotta, we got to deal with this food issue over here. How foolish can we be? Our Jesus is so compassionate, he's so patient. We look to him as the example in leadership. Verse 17 and 18, I don't read this as condescending. I don't read him as like looking down to them with mean eyes. I see a soft, gentle answer here. Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? We'll stop there. It keeps going, it keeps, but we'll stop there. But we see the same thing, don't we? They're physically with Jesus, the guy who does the food miracles. They're, you know, they're physically with him. But they're just not slowing down. They're taking things into their own strength. Modern day terms, we might call that freaking out, right? Panicking, the drama, just, just the hype. What can we worry about? There's always got to be something here for us to feel like content. There's got to be a problem. They, they somewhat neglect both wise attributes that we're looking at today. They don't slow down. And even though he's right there next to him, they don't remember him. They don't remember who he is, what strength he has. This is a good parenting example for us, the way that Jesus deals with his disciples, those on earth who are closest to him, probably. He patiently bears with them. He asks questions lovingly. We can take an example from our kids. You know, they go through that stage. I don't know if it's two or three. My son's going through it right now, so he's a little, he's two. The why stage. Why? Why, right? Why, why, why? And it has been a blast. It has been a blast. We do this in our house. Now, some of you have witnessed this. We answer every one of those questions, and it's fun. He doesn't even know what we're saying, but here's what it does. It forces us to slow down as parents and actually know why are we doing that, right? Hey, bud, can you get your feet off the table? Why? Well, the bottom of your shoes are dirty probably, and so we eat off the table. And if, if you get dirt on the table, it just it's not helpful to people. Why? Well, it's not helpful because we might if dirt gets on the food, we might this is real, right? We do this. And usually question four or five or six, he's like, Okay, Dad. Like he he's not following, but he can't he what I'm demonstrating though in that time is I'm here with you.
thought this would be the one that I got through without crying, but it's the dang kids, isn't it? Are we here for our kids? Are we just physically present? Are we too consumed by all the stuff? The wisdom of the world says kids are a liability. Kids are a burden. I don't want to have kids because then I can't go do the stuff. There's so much richness and blessing in kids. That's what this tells us. Are we just showing them that they're valuable, though? We actually need to take a page out of their book. When they come to us, we need to say, why? Why? That's how we get to their heart, right? We sit with them. We ask them, why? Tell me more about that. This is discipleship. Jesus does this with us, with his disciples. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit, though, right? Not in our own strength. In our own strength, we want to just lay down and consume and ignore the kids. The disciples were freaking out foolishly. Are we any different? I have a silly example for us to laugh at. I was doing a house rehab here recently. We needed to finish that day. There's just little things left, about nine things on a list. Little things like outlet cover plates, a filter, some batteries, like little stuff, right? So I go to Lowe's, number one, check. Number two, check. Number three is an outlet cover plate. I think I said that right. But it's a unique one because the light switch, let's see where the light switch was on the left with a receptacle on the right, all right? So I needed to find a cover that had the light switch on the left and the outlet receptacle on the right, Okay, you with me? Here's the only one that was available. It was the opposite of what I needed. All right, so I'm, going, I'm in that aisle, right? I'm like, all right, number three, here we go. And I'm looking, I find this one. I say, all right, it's got to be right next to it, right? It has to be. It's got to be right next to it. Oh, it's probably mislabeled, right? These things happen at Lowe's. Things get all over the place. So it's got to be here. It's not here. No one here to ask. I probably didn't look, honestly. But, but it's like, here we are, nothing. All right, I'm going to go finish the list. So four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Now I'm going to come back because now I'm going to see better, right? Let's come back. All right, still that same one. It's the wrong way. It's not going to work. In the name of efficiency, it's like, all right, I'm just leaving because I got to get this stuff done. And I know an electrician named Ray. And I'm like, you know, as I'm leaving the store, I'm also not, again, I haven't slowed down at all, right? Fast, fast, fast. And now I'm like starting to tell myself stuff about this. I'm like, oh, they've probably, it's probably not code anymore. This is an old house, so they probably don't make them that way anymore. It's probably an old plate. I'm just feeding myself like lies, I guess. I I don't know. And I get to the car, I text in, I kind of do a picture. Here's what I need. You might, since you're an electrician, maybe you have an old one of these. I'm assuming they don't make these anymore. All this stuff, all this stuff, right? And he was probably making fun of me in his response. He probably was, but it came through text, so I give him the benefit of the doubt. What does a good leader do? They don't just solve the problem. They don't just ignore. They say, why? They ask. They, they let you kind of come to your own conclusion, right? Jesus spoke in parables. Why? You got to come. Like You have to recirculate and think through, consider, examine. And he says, I need it the other way. He answers with one sentence. He says, 
Did you try turning it over? Ah, oh, huh. Like, isn't that not like, isn't that a joke? I'm one of your pastors and I'm that dumb, right? What does that say for all of you, right? Another example of like, I wish I would have done that on purpose for this illustration, but it was not done on purpose. And it's a silly example. But if it helps us, if my folly in something like this helps you remember how stupid and silly it is to have the power of God inside of us and not, not remember that, I'm willing to be stupid for the good of the group, truly. But we just get caught up. We're anxious because we take things under control and think that we're the power source, right? Luke 12, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither reap nor sow. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Remember God's creation. He puts man as the leader on earth. Everything else we're kind of in charge of. We have dominion over animals, plants, but he goes to creation so often. Right? He's not speaking down to us about anxiety but he's just allowing us and leading us into slowing down and looking outside. Are we aware of this creation and how it points to his power and control? The Bible tells us that God created the world by his wisdom. Proverbs 6, 6 points to the ant, the little tiny ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. We can look at this little tiny creature. We don't look at it being wise, but it reminds us, it reflects our creator and how he holds all of this thing together, including the tiny little thing that can't do anything for itself, really. How much more, church, does he care about us? If we never slow down and remember creation, I think we're missing something big about our creator and the power source. Right? Even in creation itself, God demonstrates slowing down by resting on the seventh day. We talk about slowing down and remembering Him. He physically created us to do this. He created us physically for the need to rest. Why? Because it shows that we have to depend on His power to sustain us. That's the plan. That's the plan of a Sabbath, of a weekly day of rest for your, for your heart, for your mind, for your body refreshment. It was his plan of physical slowing down. So we look to that as we pursue the wisdom of slowing down. Mark 2, 27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He created this structure for us to slow down and remember him. That's a good gift. So if you're a workaholic or if you're just obsessed with consuming media and even when you lay down physically, you're still just scrolling and your mind is just going, going, going all the time, I think you're operating against his design of slowing down. 
And I think this is how anxiety creeps in today. And I think politics is a big part of this. This is where we enter into the political talk because I think the anxiety created is just from consuming, consuming so much that we forget to slow down and, and go to this as home base, right? It's fine to be engaged in politics. It's good, actually. But just like anything that's good, like our family or kids, if there's too much of it or if it's unhealthy or if it's causing us to act in sinful ways, that's when it becomes bad. So we need to address this together and, and uncover some things. Let's say, hey, let's consider these things together as we talk about politics. The goal today out of love is that we examine our hearts. So what's closest to a group of Hoosier Christians, right? It's the Republican Party, I think. And it would be good to evaluate this because this is what most of us identify with. Let's know that and make it real. All right, let's, let's do heart checks here. Proverbs 3, 25 and 26 says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Church, the goal in exposing some wisdom of the world today is to keep us from our foot being caught in some ways. Like this verse in Proverbs said, when it comes to politics, is the Lord our confidence? Or are we letting the world creep in? All right? And this is, again, we want to check our own hearts here, even if this doesn't apply directly in all cases. I think we're doing life with people. We're rubbing shoulders with people. We care about people that might be consumed by this. So this gives us, this gives us a direction to help with. Instead of just kind of like, ah, I don't really know. Yeah, it's kind of... Like, let's, let's dig into this together a little bit and help this explain what's going on. Right? Access His power. So let's humbly... Let's humbly consider some things here in the world of politics. And it doesn't matter where you land on any of this stuff, but I think it's just helpful and best if we do real things. I think if we, if we kind of avoid the real stuff when it comes to wisdom, real life, what's happening present day here, if we avoid that stuff, then I think we'll make conceptual disciples. You know, kind of loose, light, immature, because we're not really willing to talk about the stuff, right? So if we remember wisdom of the world from James 3, 14 through 16, we saw that it flows from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, right? The political climate, I think we can see that, right? That's a big piece of it, right? There's individuals inside of that who operate differently, but overall, just like the world operates, we see that in the political world. So let's examine what wisdom of God would look like in that world. The very next verse in James, James 3.17, says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If we, if we zone in on open to reason... The wisdom of God is open to reason and, and it's impartial. That means those pursuing him come with open arms saying, not my will, but your will. We're open to reason. The political climate is not open to reason, right? The pure political climate is either all or nothing. 
It's not open to reason. It's selfish and power hungry. It's wisdom of the world. It tells us that the enemy is who? Other people. We bring this up a lot. Wisdom of the world through politics wants you to be angry at other people. And they're getting their way a little bit. Wisdom of God says that the enemy is Satan. Do we slow down enough and remember him so that we can see rightly who the real enemy is? And further, when we slow down and look to him, we see, this says to love those who are different than you. Love those who oppose you. And do what? Pray for them. Because remember, genuine prayer forces us to slow down and look to his power, not our own. So if we, if we genuinely pray for those who oppose us humanly, those who disagree with us, this isn't just politics, this is the church, this is brothers and sisters, right? This applies everywhere. If we genuinely pray for those who oppose us, it softens our hearts toward mankind. It allows us to see them as God's creation. One race, all of us, human. God's word softens our hearts, fleeing from wisdom of the world and politics, and allows us to love those who are different than us. That's not the political climate, that's the wisdom of God. And I think a subtle thing that's maybe creeped in to our lives, this is another thing to consider. I ask us just let's consider this, let's expose this, and, and let's just let's see, let's see where you land eventually on it. But do you think wisdom of the world is creeping into some hearts of people under the disguise of loyalty? That would be something to consider. Under this disguise of loyalty. Because remember, wisdom of the political world says, whatever side you're on, you're 100% on that side. Right? And you're 100% against the opponent. The opponent does nothing good ever, and your side does nothing wrong ever. That's what they want you to believe, if you're loyal. Right? Are you tough enough to be loyal to your side? So the concern here, the thing I want to uncover a little bit, and let's, let's evaluate, let's check our hearts concerning wisdom and how to live. The concern is that if some of us have identified so deeply into this world because you're just caught up in the pace of it, and you feel like, well, i, I got to keep watching the news because if I take a day or two off, then I'm not going to be able to talk to these guys, and this is our crew, it's our political crew. If we're getting caught up in the pace instead of slowing down and remembering God, then I think it's going to lead us to start identifying with a politician or with a man. Whoever are in the leadership roles in your party, that's, I think now, who we're going to start identifying with. That would be idolatry, right? But I think the enemy would love to disguise sin as something that seems good with loyalty. Because loyalty sounds like a good thing, right? Sounds great, but what are we being loyal to? That would be a helpful question as we prompt heart checks. 
What are we being loyal to? Are we being loyal to sin? Have we gone too far? And now we're making excuses for sin. We're condoning foolish behavior of politicians because that's our side and we're supposed to. So now we're being a friend to sin. I think Donald Trump is the best example to use if we're talking Republican. We think of who's kind of a leader, someone that we've seen public action. Let's evaluate for a little bit. Not as ones who don't exert folly ever, but ones who acknowledge and see and experience folly ourselves. We can see that in other people. But if we, if we look at him today just in the lens of the, of the type of wisdom we're looking at today, we're saying slow down and remembering God. Well, worldly wisdom says, I'm going to act impulsive, and I'm going to point everyone toward myself. All right? A lot of people apply to that, us included sometimes. But I wanted to give a, a real name, a real example, so that we can think through this instead of just being a concept, right? And I'm not talking about any of the political policy, any belief system, any agendas. Just talking and evaluating about human action, right? The fruits that flow out of human behavior. When we think about the action of a fool, Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs twenty nine eleven: A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Right? So we don't attack Donald Trump today, but can we evaluate it? Is this close to our heart? Are his actions demonstrating that of other politicians and is this leading us now to act kind of the same way? Are we empowered to act sinfully? Or are we content enough in Christ to be able to stand firm here and engage in politics wisely with the awareness that our hope is not in this world? Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. I just, my heart today, church, I just don't want us to be caught up in this, and I don't want the political world to steal our identity, so to speak. So it's just a word of caution. Hopefully you can receive this out of love. Hopefully this helps us when we're talking about politics The friendship with the world is a dangerous path to go on. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is real life, guys. Discerning good and evil, wisdom of the world versus wisdom of God, and it's close, and it's close, and sometimes it sounds the same. And it was a beautiful gift to, to walk with some of you during election season. It truly was. Pursuing wisdom. Some of you in here reached out. Some outside of our body reached out. They, they, they kind of came to me with, with a similar, but a little bit different, a similar kind of feeling. And again, no surprise, it was Republic, all Republican voters who came to me, four or five. And it was like, I feel like I'm supposed to vote this way. But if I do, I feel like I'm like 
acknowledging the way that Donald Trump acts. Or I'm saying that that's okay. Like, what do I do? And together, we slowed down and just looked at God's word. So it's okay to vote for him. If your convictions about policy and agendas lean that way, like, let's understand what this means. You're not voting for a human to run the world. And this is good news. We're able to just slow down, pursue wisdom together. Reminding us that our hope is in a true and better home. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Daniel 2.21, he, God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So thankfully, church, we have a God who runs the world. We access his power for wisdom. We rest in that. It is good to engage in politics, but not if it's causing us to sin. So let's beware of that together, all right? The goal today, I just wanted us to avoid getting caught in any of the snares that the wisdom of the world uses. I think we have to talk about real life because that's, that's what we're living. Let's be real together. And if, if help me too. I invite, like, if, if you're concerned, if you kind of disagree with some stuff, let, let's pursue this together. Humility plus humility, pursuing God's word together is a beautiful, beautiful gift, right? That's when we can actually be different and diverse like God created us to be as we do life together. So I'm just trying to shed light on wisdom of the world and how the wisdom of God sets us free. So may we, church, enjoy many more years of pursuing this wisdom together, remembering together to be still and know that he's God. All right, let's pray.